This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast. Hello all. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on test cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host Ajit. In today's episode, we have a very special guest, Aryan Surana, who has a background of playing top-flight cricket or top-flight age group cricket, and then is now trying his hand at journalism and sports blogging. Hello, Aryan. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Ajit. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, the pleasure is also mine. It's very nice to see that a youngster like you is also trying his hand at uh, you know blogging. as well as uh, trying to you know think of sports journalism as a full time career for yourself so i'm going to start right there so i always ask my guests what brought you to cricket and then what's keeping you there so ajit i started uh, playing cricket very early in my life uh, as is the norm in india i started hitting the ground around 8 years of age and then the interest developed in cricket i used to religiously go to the local cricket clubs i gradually progressed to playing age cricket uh, represented uh, my division my state at 14 16 and 19 age groups and then due to the pandemic there was a complete standstill in terms of sporting activity in india so everything came to a halt and sport was definitely an afterthought at that point in time other things were really more important and so i thought why not use all the knowledge i have acquired through these 10 years of playing cricket and combine it with my articulation skills whatever communication skill i have and then maybe foray a career into cricket writing so the journey began i think back in 2019 uh, the first half of the pandemic and it's fair to say that i have made some decent strides in cricket writing uh, currently i am associated with london based gorilla cricket as a feature writer If I were to ask you something about the period where you know uh, you are one of the first people I have been able to speak to who has had a first-hand experience of what happened to cricket during pandemic, right? I mean, somebody who was actually sort of playing the game professionally and then had to take a detour based on what happened during the pandemic. So you are one of those people who is now able to sort of convert your experience into something that can still be associated with cricket, but. did you see a lot of your friends maybe colleagues who had to then take a hard turn to something else yeah yeah it happened with a lot of people uh, actually what happens is cricket is a very demanding sport it takes up all your time all your energy basically you have to do it 24/7 because there are so many different angles involved you are doing fitness you are keeping track of your food so education uh whether it's good or bad takes a back seat so a lot of people when they are pursuing their cricketing ambitions they tend to go all in so in mm. india people uh, youngsters who are play, playing cricket uh, tend to do it all day and then you repeat it the next day so a lot of people don't have backup options as such and to be honest i was in a similar position because for a good 8 to 10 years of your life you have done nothing except cricket so that's all you got all you know and uh, for me i was lucky that i had the articulation skills 
to chart a new career path but not all of them are blessed with that and uh, a lot of people have detoured into various other careers some have taken up cricket coaching at a junior level uh, some have gone on to become it professionals so yeah it's been uh, a career changing juncture that two year pandemic stretch well pandemic is one of the more uh, let's say highly influential things that definitely happened and as you say many of the people had to think really seriously about what they were going to do uh, if they were not going to play cricket but i think that's also the cut off around under 19 is where many people sort of make a call will this be my life will this be my career or will i do something else and sort of i did this as good as i could and then i'm going to now walk away so probably it's a combination of both for me because uh, so i had a couple of friends who played india under 19 but then one of them went on to become a very famous doctor actually so it's possible that you could do both until a certain age group but then you decided to prioritize your career or so it's also i think the cut off where people sort of really have to take a hard decision but these days how do you find if you were to come from one of the lesser known centers for cricket in india let's say mp up you know all of these places how do you find your chances of making it to the state team and then much further into an ipl team or to the indian national team has it improved compared to where it was let's say 20 years ago if you can shed some light on it uh, i don't think it has improved considerably uh, yes the concentration of cricket camps and cricket clubs has deepened but i still feel that it is an advantage if you're born into a metro city because like i would share my example uh, i spent the prime years Uh, of my cricketing journey the age where a cricketer blossoms into playing a better level of cricket into areas where the facilities were not that good and uh, the infrastructure wasn't developed so we had to do a lot of our things on our own like creating pitches and putting up the nets these basic facilities were not available so if you are born into say mumbai delhi kolkata bangalore and you enroll into one of these better able cricket clubs and the ones which have a lot of resources then you are at least ridden of all those responsibilities and you just can focus solely on your game so that is a game changer and uh, not a lot of cities have that sort of infrastructure so it is still a struggle for people who do not come from really good backgrounds and who are not born in these posh cities indeed i mean i hope that is changing because we have some even even if you were to take the examples of the states i spoke rana comes from a, a not a big cricketing center dhoni didn't come from a big cricketing center i'm thinking now it's scouts of ipl going far and wide into india i think uh, even you have uh, many other people right who come from not a big cricketing centers but have made it really large we really hope you know this changes i mean i think the talent pool in india is almost limitless so we really hope you know people who are also in smaller cricketing centers are given the same chances or as good a chance as possible when playing compared to somebody who plays in a big club in a big metropolitan or a well known cricketing center yes but- yes absolutely i think once if you make it to the divisional team or the state team your prospects mm-hmm. of making it big really amplify because right. then you are given a good platform to perform and uh, also in terms of democratization of talent like india 
are really producing players from everywhere nowadays like it uh, it isn't the case where the metropolitan cities are holding sway or cricketers are only coming from the suburbs of mumbai mm. or say the maidans so yeah like talent is spread all over india and uh, also like performances don't go unnoticed these days like if you are scoring for 100 for madhya pradesh or you are scoring 100 for manipur Uh, mm. or you're doing it for delhi it gets the same amount of attention and eyeballs so yeah that has been a big upgrade and uh, i hope it continues to further and improve absolutely now uh, if you were to come to the cricketing games that uh, have happened since let's say the last episode so i think we'll first focus on the Eng- england south africa tests so the question on most fans lips is baseball dead aryan <laughs> it would be too early to jump the gun and pass up a conclusion at this moment but yeah england have been on an absolute roll this summer they won all their four tests before having a blip on the radar in form of the south african mauling they chased uh, some really stiff targets in the fourth innings like 277 299 296 378 uh, you'd say with ridiculous ease so obviously mm. baseball was in full flow and uh, Ben Stokes and Brendan McCullum the current England regime they made it pretty clear that they are looking to rewrite how test cricket is being played but ajit there's a reason why teams in general haven't played test cricket in such fashion ever since it started because the cons outweigh the pros the highs might be towering but you know the lows they could be enormous so teams have generally decided to play it safe but england on the other hand were willing to take that risk to fail spectacularly once in a while just to explore the limits of their achievement just to understand what is their exact potential so that signed up for the whole package you know and there was going to be a bump on the road somewhere down the line and unfortunately for them it has happened sooner than late uh it could have backfired baseball strategy could have backfired against india if the conditions were slightly more conducive to fast bowling in that fifth rescheduled test but as it happened it just fall, fell apart against south africa hmm look for me the real difference was in that four pronged attack mainly norkia the way he bowled i mean the aggression that he brought to the pitch and of course the ferocity with which you know he tended to give the impression he was going to hurt somebody i mean kagisura bada is excellent he's now a well proven quantity he took a 5 for in the first innings but for me even though norke was sort of costly he kept that pressure right up there all the time so that four pronged attack where you have no break you have nowhere to turn right that's what i mean west indies did it for two decades almost right so so far dean elgar has forged a team that is very very strong first of all they did well at home against india where everybody thought india will walk away with the series and so on and then quietly they are now at the top of the world test championship charts and well they have won the first test in england as well so do you see this team sort of forging into a force that could really challenge for the world test championship and become some something big in the upcoming couple of years so or so Ajit you made a very good point here actually the completeness of the protea's bowling lineup that you talk about that has been the nucleus of south africa's resurgence in tests like i think they won just three tests last year and two of them were against a weak west indian side mm. but this year their 
resurgence has been phenomenal and their bowling lineup has averaged 22 per wicket at least five runs better than any other side and wow. uh, the main reason why they were able to get hold of england was if you see like first of all the point you mentioned that there was no escape uh, marco anson and uh, lungi angidi kagishwar abada andrik nokia all of them coming at you full throttle there's really no loophole from which you can wiggle your way out of trouble and uh, also there was a chink in the england armor because johnny bestow and joe root these are the two people who have been doing the heavy lifting for england all summer and johnny bestow has an apparent weakness against high quality pace bowling and south africa had a very potent weapon uh, in their ranks in the form of andrik nokia whose average speed this summer has been 144 the highest of this english summer so you know it was the perfect storm and uh, to be honest i think uh, south africa have made some really rapid strides and they are improving by leaps and bounds they've got a captain full of character in dean elgar who believes in his troops and he's got a team who's willing to go through a brick wall for him so it's a very cohesive unit i think uh, they are also doing well with the bat with the emergence of keegan peterson and dean elgar obviously serving the mantle of the defender solid defender up top so they do have the talent to make it and uh, it would be very interesting if they make it to the wts final because they are going to be a force to reckon with absolutely look uh, also as you said these same bowlers at least two of them made very worthy contributions with the bat i mean marco jansen promoted to sort of shield kyle verena and the likes of keshav maharaj they all made some runs so that was that was very nice to see and i think that's where if anything england sort of dropped the ball for the lack of a better term because you know ben stokes i remember ran in kept pulling short thinking he'll intimidate marco jansen and, and maybe even enric norkia when he batted maybe it was a bit of give him his own medicine but that really didn't work because um from let's say something like uh 4 for 187 or so a good a good effort could have seen you know england sort of uh, close south africa out under 250 or 260 that would still give them something that additional 50 60 runs which they were able to score that extended the not only extended the lead but also sort of you you put the test match in a place from which the opposition has very much to do to come back i mean if you look at the record for test matches i'm sure 150 lead is 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 quite a benchmark from which not a lot of teams have been able to come back and win a test baseball or not right so i think that that crucial couple of hours on the third morning i think that's what actually took the game away from england and they were always going to have one or two bad innings what you said right you cannot expect that every time under the pump they'll deliver and for me really the failure of root and bearstow basically these two were the people who sort of did all the heavy scoring in all those famous wins that we counted earlier in the summer i think those two were worked out and i think engedi has a plan when it comes to how to bowl to root and you saw that in action sort of while the play was going on and that's very nice to see right so you have what you said very nuggety sort of old school cricketer in dean elgar as the captain and he doesn't mind taking his time he says it's okay let's take it into the fourth fifth day let's take it into the last couple of sessions of the game if required right so i like seeing that very much where people want to make use of the time that is available and then continue to try and win so i always you know at least there's a joke i always make 
Kagiso Rabada is like a rapier sword, like a, one of those with the thin points, right? The ones you use in Mask of Zorro sort of movies. Lungi Engedi is a mace. You know, you can batter people with it. But Heinrich Norke is a proper broadsword. I mean, as they say, whichever way it falls on you, you're going to die. So it's it's quite something. This attack is quite something. And the way he used Keshav Maharaj very, very intuitively. So the opposition, they looked like, okay, a second innings, they looked to have set up their stall, seven overs. He immediately brings the spinner on. This is something nobody expected. Probably it took England... Um, the management and even the batters by a little bit of surprise. And Keshav Maharaj delivered. He took the two top-order wickets, both LBW. They were really not expecting that they'll have to play at every ball, right? And he got Oli Pop out, the highest scorer in the first innings. Yeah. All in all, very, very interesting for me as a test match. Which way do you see the series going? Can England make a comeback and maybe take uh, the remaining two tests? Absolutely, Ajit. I think uh, uh, you made a very good point about the cohesiveness of South Africa's bowling unit. I think... This was one of the things that stood out during the test match because each of uh, Keshav Maharaj, Marco Anson and Lungi Angidi, uh, the other bowling options other than the two pace spearheads in Kagiso Rabada and Andrik Nokia managed to keep the heat on the England batters. And uh, this is one of the key differences between the rescheduled fifth test between India-England and the series opener of the South Africa-England series. Because Siraj and Shardul Thakur these two weren't able to maintain that sort of a stranglehold over England when Jaspreet Bumrah and Mohamed Shami gave it their absolute best. So this was one of the chief reasons why Root and Bairstow scripted history, you know, recording England's highest ever successful run chase in Test cricket. And talking about the scoreline, I think England, if you go by the press conferences after the series opener, they are willing to cop it on the chin. Like they are not buckling under pressure that, okay, South Africa have gotten the better of us and we are going to completely drift away from what has proven to be successful or for, successful for us. That is the baseball theory. So if you speak, to, uh, if you listen to Root, if you listen to the post-match interview of Ben Stokes, uh, he is very clear about the fact that with the hyper-aggressive, ultra-positive style that they are adhering to, there are going to be some off-color days when they are going to fall flat on their face. So, they need to maintain their composure, need to trust in the process and uh, take it for granted that they have signed up for the whole package. And so, there will be bad days and there will be good days. And this was just one of those games where England just didn't turn up. So, I think can't really rule out England as of now. They have the home advantage. They know the conditions well. And uh, it is just a matter of one of their batters, informed batters in Root, Besto. Maybe you could have a surprise in Zach Crawley, finally banishing his poor run of form. So I don't really uh, would fancy ruling England out just yet. And I would think they rebound really ferociously and draw the series level. Well, you brought me to the other point, Crawley. How much of a run do you think he'll get? Let's say he doesn't do something of a whole lot of note in the upcoming test or so. Will he be already dropped for the test, third test or do you see him still get an opportunity to go through the series and maybe you know make something out of it? Yeah, so I was reading through Brendan McClellan's comments and he seems to have ignited a spark because all the trading pundits from England are after him. Because he said a very controversial thing that he doesn't expect Zach Crawley to be a really consistent batter. He just expects him to be a game changer on his day, uh, like a Ben Stokes of sort. 
Like Ben Stokes is not the most consistent blokes going around. Uh, his average is insipid. But on his day, on when on song, he could really take the game away from the opposition and change the complexion totally. So those sort of comments coming from Brendan McGillum are a certain indicator that England are willing to root for Zach Crawley and they are willing to give him a longer rope. They aren't uh, looking at it as a short-term thing. So, I think, to be honest, Zach Crawley does have the talent, but at some point, as Michael Atherton pointed out, that you have to take that call. That whether you are doing the player's confidence a world of good by pushing him, by backing him to full hilt, or you are pushing him in the firing line just by giving him repeated chances when he's not actually capable of delivering the goods at the highest level. Well, looking at the way uh, South Africa have bowled, I mean, not a lot of people will be queuing up to play that attack. But, I mean, he's the man in possession, as you said, and he would get the first pick. You're right. And he would still be backed. I, I expect he'll go through the series and then they'll take a call because that will also be the end of their summer, right? So they'll test their plan for summer. It's the last. So I don't expect too many changes. Uh, let's see if he can, you know, turn that uh, bad form around and try and, uh, you know, make something out of it. That's something worth seeing. That's one of the game games, let's say, battle within the battles, as they say. Right. So, all in all, something uh, very, very uh, exciting to look forward to. The game starts tomorrow. Right. So, let's see how that goes. Now, if you were to move on to the ODIs. So, we have a bunch of ODI series to discuss. But Pakistan's tour of Netherlands, it sort of ended in a very, very expected manner. Because, um, well, Pakistan walked away with a 3-0 victory. But... Look, we had already discussed the first game when we had an international player, Logan Van Beek, in the previous episode. But uh, when we look at this, the second game was very much insipid from Netherlands. They they did not look like they were there to compete. 186 all out with a couple of big scores from the middle order and nothing from the middle, lower middle and tail. But then the third game, I think, was a real heartbreaker if you're a home fan. Because they got... They got Pakistan all out for 206 and that too on the back of excellent bowling. It was not like Pakistan were all out in the 38th over or the 40th over. They had to struggle into 50th over to actually make even those 206 runs. So considering that they were playing on like side-by-side pitches, not a lot would be different one from the other. So it was all down to the way Netherlands bowled, especially their opening bowler Vivian Kingma and Aryan Dutt, the way they opened. And then wonderful support, Basil Lida, who's having the time of his life, I think. He took a 3-4 with the ball. And the spinners basically tied them down, right? And from that point on, then they built up a platform. So at 3 for 108 in 30 overs, they had the ideal platform requiring something like 95 runs, 98 runs to actually win the game. But, you know, I was on the field that day. I was actually playing on that Sunday. And I had a person who was umpiring. So I was at square leg and he was next to me. And we were talking and he said, I don't think this Netherlands team has the maturity to win games in tight situations. So if it comes down to run a ball, Pakistan will run away as the winner. And that's exactly what happened. So Naseem Shah came up good. He took five and Mohamed Wasim took four. And even though they were sort of juggling their bowlers, I think Naseem, Naseem Shah has been given a long run. right? So he's really come good. And when you see him bowl, you see that this is this is a class act. right? So it's not going to be easy keeping him out. And it was a real heartbreak that way, if you're a Dutch fan, because again, Cooper made another 60 and Vikramjit Singh made a 50. But beyond that, Teja Nidamanuru made 24. But it's not a lot to write home about when you know your captain was worked out cheaply and then the tail couldn't contribute another six to eight runs between them because Netherlands were all out with four balls remaining. 
right? So it was a bit of a heartbreak. If you have been following this, uh, let's say the summer of Netherlands, where four teams came and there were ODI and T20I series played. It's really, really a heartbreak if you look back and see that Netherlands have not been able to win even a single game. So I don't know if you also follow a bit about um, associate cricket and if you have any thoughts on this, Aryan. Yeah, Ajit, I try and do keep a tab on it because as a cricket writer, you need to be global in your view, right? Uh, so, uh, as you said, the first of the two games uh, went about in predictable fashion because Netherlands were hammered. But uh, the third game, I read that um, Babar Azam, even though he got a 90-odd, he looked quite mm -hmm. scratchy at the crease. And uh, that means that Netherlands were able to keep a tight leash on Pakistan, which is unusual and which is not unexpected, which is not expected. So, and uh, in the second innings, I think the game went right down to the wire. Um, although partnerships lower down the order from the Pakistan, uh, from the batters, uh, got them home. But I think uh, the final match uh, was an eye-opener in terms of how well Netherlands can compete. Uh, as you talk about the maturity, I think the number of games is the key factor here because they tend to play very sporadically through the year. So if the distribution from ICC and the FTP can be a little more uh, uniform and they get to compete a lot with teams who are at the top of the league, then their maturity levels will rise. Because, you know, to become better, you have to hang out with pe better people, as they say. So I think playing, like for example, Ireland played India and we saw the talent of Harry Tactor taking on Umran Malik, pulling him for backwards well, like with aplomb. So these kind of things emerge when they uh, play the better teams. So they'll get the eyeballs, they'll draw the plaudits and I hope Netherlands cricket can draw hard from the fact that they pushed Pakistan to the brink and they can keep doing better. Excellent. So I think you summed it up pretty well. But yeah, let's hope they get better and they get an opportunity to play in the World Cup as well. So we really hope that they're able to get ahead and, uh, you know, do themselves proud when they go to the World Cup later this year. So from that ODI series, if you were to go to another ODI series, this is probably something closer to your heart as well as what you follow, the India versus Zimbabwe series. So if you were to not look at each game, but just look at the series overall, did your expectations on how certain India fringe players played, did it sort of match how you wanted them to go at the beginning of the series? Yeah, uh, mostly. Uh, like, for example, Deepak Chahar is not a fringe player, but he was returning from a six-month layoff. So you can term it as someone who has spent a significant spell on the sidelines and he is on a comeback trail. So I was quite impressed with the bowling show. He picked a three-wicket haul in the first ODI and that was really heartening to see. Uh, other than that, Sanju Samson, he scored a a 43-odd laced with four sixes. So that was pleasing to watch in the second ODI, got India home. And uh, some of the other players, I think Ishan Kishan would be a little disappointed through his wicket away in the second game, but uh, came back good uh, with a 50 in the final game, although not at a brisk strike rate. But uh, overall, I think it was a good workout for the French players and uh, some of them might stake their claim for the T20 World Cup coming up. And also the ODI World Cup for the 2023 season. So, yeah, it was a good series overall. Right. Absolutely. So, probably KL Rahul would not be very happy with his returns. But as a skipper, he would be happy to have led the team to a 3-0 victory. 
even though rohit is not here so shikhar dhawan played his part and shubman gill showed he's as good a replacement as anyone else right at the top in the first two games right but then zimbabwe team they got better and better both with the bat and the ball as the series went on so if there were to be a t20 series after this i think they would really give the same indian team a run for their money no definitely ajit and uh, a lot of the credit for the brand new approach that you see from zimbabwe the credit for that has to go to the management dave uton and lance closner they are currently the people in charge of zimbabwe cricket and i was reading an interview on cricbus and there they stated that the chemistry between those two people is so good and they've been ushering in a sweeping change in the way zimbabwe think and play because fear of failure and pressure these are the two single biggest obstacles in terms of high performance in cricket they are the roadblocks that dis- discourage people from achieving their full potential and zimbabwe earlier they used to be quite timid with their approach but nowadays if you see the management has created such an environment that they are not uh shying away from pulling their shots and they are just going out for the big hits and even if you take a look at the performances of sikandar raza or richard angarawa or brad evans they are giving the bowlers a run for their money and they are pulling out all stops so i think a lot of credit goes to the think tank for that hmm so you know with dravid sort of testing positive for corona vivas lakshman has been given another uh, go as the interim coach for the indian team in asia cup at least starting a couple of games i think he'll be the coach and he'll probably stay back also during the rest of the tournament but um, did you see any difference in the approach from the indian team when it came to how they were on the field maybe due to the inputs they get from the backroom staff was it sort of uh, visible or do you see sort of a homogeneity in the way this set of people who are around the team currently now think and the team behaves yeah i think first of all it's commendable on bcci's part that they are shuffling around the coaches as well because you know as you can see in the news these days ben stokes is complaining about the jam packed cricket schedule so apart from the players the coaches also need some time off to spend time with the loved ones and you know recharge and refuel so it is a good strategy to turn dravid off for one series and turn vvs lakshman off for one so uh, i think uh, in terms of the communication and the messaging that how india want to go about their cricket uh, there wasn't any visible difference because vvs lakshman being the nc chief he is routinely in touch with the senior indian cricketers who come down to bangalore for their rehab mm. and for their external training and also he's been in charge of grooming the next generation of cricketers so he does have a very good fundamental understanding of where india stand and how do they want to play their cricket but i still feel from a player point of view the uh, continuous rejigging of coaches might have an impact because however seamless you want the transition to be if for a example a player has been instructed by dravid to play in a certain fashion and he goes about doing that when vvs lakshman is at the helm and somehow there are discrepancies in the way messages are conveyed or somehow there is a slight alteration then the players thinking gets muddled up so i hope that is not the case and the communication has been crystal clear if that is the thing india should be good to go at the asia cup hmm yeah i mean you're right in as much that uh, as long as they all read from the same sheet 
even though there's one coach in place of the other and maybe players also get shuffled around a bit right so the team uh, should feel that there is this bonding that is still there even though people get replaced so it's going to be interesting to see how the indian team will perform come the asia cup and the world cup because i think rohit sharma and rahul dravid deserve a bit of credit in sort of building a depth so i think they have easily 18 to 20 players ready now who can all take a place in the first 11 and that's very important i think given that amount of cricket the people play these days so i think at least there they deserve a lot of credit the same management thought thought uh, process you could see when you saw vivas uh, lakshman also be in charge of the team right well to finish off raza hasan raza he's been having the time of his life both, both with the bat and the ball and he very nearly won the game in the third odi so the third odi was the really the most uh, competitive of the three with prad evans taking a 5-4 raza scoring 115 right so there you saw a bit of the old school odi approach where india were only scoring at 4 and over or 4.5 to the over and only after about 35 overs they really started scoring because they had wickets in hand right so this brings me to that context we were sort of discussing off air where do you see that odi cricket is here to stay or do you think because is it something that people use as a stepping platform for tests and then like a way to downgrade slowly in their mindset all the way to t20is but does it still still retain its relevance do you think yeah this has been a burning issue in recent times because earlier what used to happen is that there was a modicum of cricket being played there were only a certain number of games spread throughout the year so the popularity quotient was high for each and every individual game i remember the panwalas in india the sabjiwalas in india everyone used to be excited mm. about what is the score how on how much is rahul dravid batting how much did tendulkar get in the game so that buzz and that craze about cricket and especially odi cricket has been on the wane in the recent past and the primary contributor has been the ftp because there are so many matches the international calendar mm. is a treadmill of sort so people had no option but to prioritize what cricket were they going to watch and what sort of cricket gave them the maximum amount of joy and that is definitely t20 cricket for the purists it is test cricket but for the young people for the generation which doesn't have the time to really invest into a one day game they are tuning more and more into t20 stuff and with all the franchise cricket available at their fingertips they don't really find it a point to watch odi cricket sit for 8 hours so if you look at it from a cricket analyst point of view uh, so if i analyze the situation i am always in the game because i'm keeping a tab on the tactics what is the captain thinking during that middle phase during that phase after the power play and between the power play so that is the exact juncture where the casual fan fan loses his interest because you know the swing of the ball diminishes and the field is spread out batters mostly refrain from pulling out the big hits and it gets into a very boring sort of phase where there are just singles been nerded so i think one of the measures that the icc could undertake is revoking the two new balls because what that will do is that will add an extra dimension of reverse swing which is certainly a lost form of the game like earlier we used to see wasim akram waka yunis they used to bamboozle batters with that but nowadays you don't really see mitchell stark curling those balls that banana swing in the 30th 35th over if that happens i think a casual 15 year old guy 
who's just watching cricket for fun he'll find it very fascinating and very interesting to watch that sort of a reverse swing going on and these are the sort of measures that could be taken to revive the interest in odi cricket otherwise i fear it will lose out in terms of popularity razmatas and the glamour that t20 cricket and the purity that test cricket has to offer well you know you've sort of made some points which lead to the way the uh, odi series between new zealand and west indies was played also is being explained where it was almost like watching a throwback odi right from the 90s where you would think there was only one ball and people sort of build a slow innings through the middle overs sort of setting it all up to the 38 39th over onwards right so it was pretty much the same even in the last odi you saw west indies scoring at 4 and over when they batted first or 4 and a half an over right until the 40th over almost when they started hitting right so maybe you have a point but i think the in, the introduction of two new balls well that might not get you reverse swing right away but there are bowlers who are good enough to exploit even a 15 or a 18 year old ball 18 over old ball to actually get a reverse swing right so because we occasionally see in a t20 game some reverse swing happening and if you were to think the balls are the same then in theory 36th 40th over onwards you should still get some reverse swing potentially or in the last few overs because for me by giving two new balls they have made it more uh, easy for bowlers especially fast bowlers to you know exploit any potency that is in the pitch and from both ends right so that's always good for me so but there is always another side to the same coin the ball is never too old it's at best 25 overs old even in the 50th over right so that means the batsman can still hit the ball the ball is never like soap as they say so it's something you can think about but for me i won't tinker too much with the rules of odi cricket but then there is a place for it is the way i feel because um there is rasmatas what you say in t20 there's the classicism that is test match cricket well dean elgar and his boy showed right how classicism is so much important when they beat england recently but for me odi is the right stepping stone if one were to actually think about the game where you have 50 overs to bat 300 balls that's a lot of time and you have two new balls right so there are many other changes you can think of doing for example there were talk of uh, allowing uh, four bowlers to bowl as many as uh, i don't know up to 15 overs if they are required so that it you can focus on lesser bowlers there's a lesser number of bowlers but each bowler having a longer spell if required these sort of things sort of making it closer to um, test match in their thought process this is one thing the other thing is what tendulkar once suggested that completely make it more like two t20s being played one behind the other so it's like each team bats for 25 overs and then there are four innings so then you have the concept of a test match where you build some pressure through the innings but then you have the fast scoring of a t20 because it's only a 25 over innings so there are many ways possible so we don't see this format being broken up yet but it may come to it that this format might see some reinventions what you already mentioned now if you were to quickly wrap up the new zealand west indies series well there are not a lot of surprises really for new zealand to win the series 2-1 after they lost the first match so comfortably west indies start sort of started off with a bang because uh, the pitches on which they were playing were sort of low and slow and it was it was more conducive to the, what we already discussed the sort of build an innings and go big at the end sort of a pitch but in the second game so new west indies had already won the first game so in the second game finn allen sort of made 96 right at the top of the order and even though uh, new zealand only made 212 they batted almost up to the 50th over to get to that score you would think for a team that is coming off a win they would chase it very easily but they couldn't west indies had a blip with their batting and 
for them to even come to 161 was thanks to like a 52 from number 8 yanik kareya the leg break bowler and number 10 azari joseph who made a 49 was unlucky to miss out on a 50 right so it was sort of a one sided game that way because team saudi and trent bolt they bowled really well right at the top of the order west indies were like i don't know 5 for 26 they were going nowhere even 6 for 27 when holder was out so you thought this game is going to close with west indies being 80 all out or something but they did well to come back but then it was all set up for the last game so in the last game west indies did really well right so they had 100 and 250s in the top 3 and with the third of those 50s nicholas puran who scored 91 he took just 55 balls so that meant you know 300 was a huge score on such a pitch you could think it's like 350 360 elsewhere on a even pitch right but this was the moment where sort of new zealand were ready so they had like 450s from the top 5 and they chased out chased the game very very well with you know jimmy nisham actually sort of winning the game at a canter he scored 34 of just 11 he played the perfect finisher's role but i think with darrell mitchell sort of settling in into this uh, new zealand team so rostell has recently retired darrell mitchell has showed between him and devon conway they have the maturity to sort of replace this big name which is rostell and not every game is played by ken williamson anymore he's injured so even he was injured for the last two games so i think this new zealand team is headed in the right way at least for limited overs cricket they're really headed in the right way for me now if you were to move on we could focus on some of the news off field so heather knight uh, the english player she's uh, she was commentating at the 100 recently where we saw but uh, she's uh, decided to undergo a hip surgery so that means she's actually going to miss the india series as well as the wbbl but i think this will sort of make it easy for her to extend her uh, career by a few more years so we wish her all the best and we wish to see her up and running and back on the field as soon as she could outside of that another uh, important news when it comes to women's cricket so rachel hayho flint who was sort of the forerunner when it came to women's cricket in general and definitely english women's cricket because she was made she was created a baroness so baroness rachel hayho flint so she was actually honored with a gate named after her at the lords this is a very you could say it's just a symbolic gesture but for something that's been such a men's club or such a bastion of you know a male way of thinking for the lords to actually acknowledge her contributions to the game is a big deal and we really congratulate uh, rachel hayho flint and her family for you know the contribution that she was able to make to cricket now it brings us to some of the last interesting discussion points for me so the asia cup starts very soon and asia cup is always very interesting so because it's asia cup i was able to look up the uh, last asia cup final which was between india and bangladesh it was in 2018 and india won that under rohit sharma it was one of the first big tournaments uh, rohit sharma has won for india back then as a captain because virat kohli was not there and you know when you look at that uh, 11 it, it it throws back some names at you right so you have uh, dinesh karthik kedar jadhav and mahendra singh dhoni as the indian middle order right shikhar dhawan finished as the man of the series then and even when you look at the other players like bangladeshi players at least in the final you had marshif murtaza who was the captain you had imrul kais you had mohammad mithun right so many names which have come and gone since so to say right and there have been many survivors of course jadeja is there of course shikhar dhawan is there rohit sharma himself is there many of these people are still there so when you look at it it is it's such a throwback and asia cup is always used as sort, sort of a stepping stone to whichever uh, world tournament is coming up so right now it's a t20 tournament so we'll play this in the t20 format right so that most teams can get a good practice so 
when you when you look at when you look at this times asia cup let's say at least if you were to look at india's chances how do you see india shaping up in this asia cup i think very uh, healthily uh, because uh, india have been chopping and changing relentlessly since this year it has uh, in part been a forced circumstance of the covid pandemic and how workload workload management has become crucial so uh, india has won 11 out of the 15 odis in the super league as it stands and uh, their t20 cricket has been on the upswing as well uh, basically because of how they've plucked the leaf out of england and played some really turbocharged uh, cricket mm-hmm. uh, over the months so their limited overs cricket is really in fine fettle and i am banking india to go all the way uh, just the one achilles heel that they've always had is mm. choking under the big moments and choking would be too far a uh, sweeping statement but uh in those moments when you really expect the batters who have been performing all round the year to uh, deliver the goods but they fall short somehow like how it happened mm. in the champions trophy uh, in front of mohammad amir or like shahin afridi recently so uh, you'd really expect the likes of virat kohli i hope he gets a turn soon and uh, i hope he gets back to form more importantly uh, and the likes of kl rahul the experienced campaigner like rohit sharma shikhar dhawan all these guys uh in terms of the 23 world cup and the forthcoming asia cup as well t20 world cup as well uh these guys really need to perform and crunch moments and uh, really uh, the team needs to ride on their shoulders because uh, india do have the talent they do have the firepower now it's just about not wilting under the pressure holding the nerve and seizing the key moments look when i look at the squad i would really expect Ashwin to have a big role in this tournament, right? Along with Chahal, Ravindra Jadeja, and of course, uh, Ravi Bishnoi. How do you see it going? Because at least the pitches will slowly get some wear and tear, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, UAE has uh, known to be a spin-friendly venue uh, in general, all the venues. Uh, so I think the spinners will come into play. Although dew will be a factor, uh, and uh, I hope it doesn't become. how one of the uh, earlier tournaments happened like whoever wins the toss wins the game i think the t20 world cup uh, because there was this prevailing consensus mm. that once you win the toss and uh, put in the opposition so chasing becomes relatively easy because how the ball gets really wet in uae and it you can really hit through the line take the aerial route at will and just ca- cruise through the chase so i hope it's not the same again and uh, the spinners will come into play uh, ravi bishnoi has been a find for india uh, basically i think uh, the opposition's will find him out because he can be played as someone who mm-hmm. bowls googlies predominantly he doesn't have a big ripping uh, big ripping leg break the strong ball uh, which leg spinners generally have so uh, uh, the indian spinners will need to work on their inventiveness constantly and uh, they have uh, the challenge of coming up against batters who are very good in subcontinental conditions because all of them obviously belong to asia so it will be a good uh, challenge i think i mean you have stellar spinners in every team right sri lanka has tikshna and uh, hasaranga and you have rashid khan from afghanistan of course you have ashwin jadeja from india right also the also likes of yuzi shahal and so on so Do you see this really being reflected in the squads? For example, India has only three full fast bowlers in a full squad, right? And when you look at other squads, like 
even sri lanka even pakistan you see there is sort of a bent towards more spinners in the 11 or an indication there may be as many as three or four spinners where there may be one or two all rounders so at least from that perspective uh, do you see the all rounder the off break bowling all rounder or the spinning all rounder sort of taking a center stage in this tournament Yeah, yeah, that could be a case. And Deepak Hooda has turned out to be a tidy customer for India. Um, similarly, Glenn Maxwell for Australia, not in the Asia Cup, but in the T Twenty World Cup, we saw how he can just control the middle overs. And the mm. names you've spoken of, uh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, all have been producing some really fine talents in the recent past. And a lot of uh, how a lot of how the Asia Cup will go. will hinge on the performance of the spinners uh, to be frank and uh, i just hope that yuzvendra chahal arashwin ravi bishnoi uh, they turn to be better than the counterparts and they can win it for india this time let's see well i mean at least there's no shahin shah afridi pakistan will probably miss him but they have hasnain instead so that will be quite something right uh-huh. if you have naseem shah from one end and uh, hasnain from another that will be quite something but pakistan also have a very strong uh, spin contingent they have uh, shadab khan um, and then they have usman qadir and they have mohammad nawaz and who sort of the spinning all rounder and iftikhar ahmed another off break bowler who can bat and hit hard right so most teams have stacked up their squads exactly like this based on this and of course when it comes to afghanistan you cannot forget the mohammad nabi who's right who's been quite something so but if you look at squads and how they stack up how do you see Uh, you know the results going maybe let's talk the four final semi finalists and then maybe the finalists so or the super fours the four super four teams and the finalists how do you see that going i think uh, afghanistan they are a strong bowling side but batting wise i think rehmanullah gurbaz mm-hmm. has got a lot of talent and he's a very uh, easy on the eye uh, but um, i don't think their batting really fires under those key pressure moments and uh, i don't uh, really think their bowling can take them too far in the tournament so for me the final four will be quite predictable you know pakistan india sri lanka and uh, say bangladesh hmm interesting so you will not give afghanistan a go ahead of bangladesh as per your concerned to make the semi final uh yeah i think it will be a tough arm wrestle between the two but bangladesh just on the basis of being there a lot and uh, being having played so many matches having acquired a lot of experience over the years they think uh, better uh, than afghanistan in those pressure moments and uh, i think if you have star players like shakib al hasan and uh, some of the other guys can chip in as well they have some promising youngsters i think bangladesh will be the team to beat interesting they also have a point to prove because they recently lost a series in zimbabwe and well their board has not taken kindly to it they have a very vocal board and a very vocal president of the board so i think they have something to prove under a new captain shakib who's back at the helm once more so all in all a very very interesting uh, interesting bunch of matches you can't quite forget that there is also a qualifier coming but you know if you were to ask you before you completely switch off from this topic who's going to win the asia cup one choice india <laughs> my loyalties drive me towards india and uh, uh, no but generally uh, generally taking away the nationality factor i think india is a force to reckon with their odi cricket has been top notch this year and uh, 
Pakistan would have been a prime candidate or would have been a force to reckon with. I think if they had Shahin Afridi and that is a huge loss to their chances. Uh, I hope mm-hmm. Mohammad Aslan fills in the boots uh, quite well. But India, if Virat Kohli regains his form and the other players continue to deliver in the same fashion, continue to keep up the good work, India will be the undisputed champion. Fair enough. All right. I will back uh, India to also go on and take the tournament. But I think we'll see some twists and turns before we end. We arrive at the end of the tournament, however. So, those are all the topics that we wanted to discuss in today's episode. It's been a really, really a wonderful chat. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And I hope all our listeners are also able to, you know, say they were really, really enthralled by what they got to hear in this episode. So, thanks a lot, Aryan, for being a part of the show. The feeling is mutual, Ajit. I loved being here and chatting with you. This was one of my first podcasts and I hope it went well. Well, at least you didn't let on that this was your first podcast. You spoke like a very experienced pro and uh, that augurs well, I would say. So if I were to say, uh, what sort of uh, things would you like to plug about your work, maybe your social media handles? Yeah, so I tweeted, I am Arin Surana. And uh, I am on Instagram as well. Uh, I currently write for Gorilla Cricket. So you can head over to the website and go to the features section to read my work. And I am also on LinkedIn. So you can connect with me there as well. It would really be a great pleasure uh, seeing your connection requests. And I hope my work gets the reach courtesy of Armchair Cricket Podcast. I really hope we can do our bit to, you know, get your work popularized. You, you write really well. I've read your article. So I recommend your work to all our listeners. We'll make sure we also put a link of your blog in our uh, podcast episode notes. Thanks once again. And uh, yeah, wish you a good day. And we wish all our listeners a good day wherever they may be listening from. Bye-bye. Welcome, Ajit. My pleasure. Thank you so much. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.